Good afternoon. Thank you for participating in another episode of Dubai's Daughter. I have my coach on the line. I'm a wonderful, wonderful man, Mr. Steve Gatter, and I'd like for you to introduce yourself, please, Steve. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be part of this podcast, and I'm delighted to be your coach. Uh, my name is Steve Gatter, and I am a business coach to startups and freelancers. The name of my practice is called Underdog Business Strategies because if you're going to be a startup or a freelancer in today's internet, crazy, dominated marketplace, you're an underdog. But there's some advantages to being an underdog, and that's what I kind of like helping my clients figure out. Yes, perfectly said. Thank you. Thank you. So we have the icebreaker. Have you ever gained or lost a job due to business etiquette? The, uh, the honest answer to that question is no, but I believe I came perilously close to losing a job due to really poor business etiquette. Um, and the only reason I didn't lose my job because of it was because I quit before they had a chance to fire me. And of course, in that instance, you don't really know if you were going to get fired or not. The only reason I know it, or the only reason I suspect it rather, is that my really good friend who co-managed this branch with me, um, after I left, he and I had coffee together and he told me that uh, that incident got run up the flagpole and a whole bunch of people um, got to know about it and I was on really thin ice. Well, it was a very high stress, high pressure job. And uh, we had one character in the office who was just casually profane all the time. And he didn't mean anything by it. He was a good guy, but a lot of people were offended by his language. Yes. And He confronted me one day in my office and it must have been a a bad day for me. And he was talking the way he normally talks and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I fought back with my own string of profanity and I told him to get out of my office. So it was bad judgment on my part, bad etiquette on my part. And it was the wrong thing to do. So what are you doing career-wise now? We know that you have underdog strategies. And so can you break it down a little bit more for people that really don't understand that? Happy to. Well, this is what I call my third career. I've had two major chunks in my working career and they both worked out pretty well, very well. And when the last gig came to an end, I really had no idea what I was going to do next. And we moved from Philadelphia to Charlotte. And I had this game plan to go meet a hundred people. And the premise was, what do you do for a living? I wonder if I could do that because I really had not ever given any thought to who I am. What are my superpowers? What do I really want to do? And ironically, or ironically, these are the exact same questions I like to ask my clients. 
now that you're starting your own business, is this what you really want to do? Are these the people you really want to serve? Is this the difference you really want to make? I mean, these were the exact same questions I put myself through. And I finally realized that, well, I don't think I can be an employee anymore. Um, I don't think I could work a rigid set of hours. I work way more than that now, but it's completely different because it's my work. Yes. It's not anybody else's. Um, so I created this, I, I finally came up with this concept on how to get clients. How, how can a brand new entity go out and actually get clients? Because if you were like me, if you grew up in corporate America, the stuff we were taught about sales and marketing no longer applies. As a one person business, we have to be way more efficient and we've got to zero in on who is it we really want to talk to and let's go talk to them. So that's the career I'm now in. I am, uh, I specialize in coaching startups and one person businesses. I like, I like the way you got out of corporate America and, and then the questions, I mean, those are real questions to ask yourself. Is this really what I want to do? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because it begins today. That's how I feel. Yes. It begins today. What am I going to do when I grow up? Yeah, that's the question. That's the question. Those are great questions to, to ask yourself and then to incorporate it into what you're doing now. It's even exactly. Better. Because you know those answers, those questions and answers work for you. So they should be able to work for someone else. And even if you're looking for another job, those questions still remain. You know, what do you really want to do? Who do you really want to serve? What's the difference you really want to make? And so when you're hunting for a new job or starting your own business, I think these are, this is what's motivating you. This is what gets me up every day. That you were going to need. I mean, because it's what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, I was in sales. I was a commission only sales rep for Countrywide for seven years, seven years. And my favorite thing was going out and meeting new mortgage brokers. I, did, I, w I could have been a lot better in my follow-up and service of them. That's not really true. I was pretty good. <laughs> but my favorite part was meeting people for the first time. So in high school, Steve, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? Not a clue. Not a clue. Um, high school was an absolute blast. Um, it was a very small high school. I knew everybody. We all knew everybody. Um, I lived in a neighborhood that was hilarious. There were so many kids in it. I mean, there was always stuff to do. And I was always out doing it. And it never, ever entered my mind, what am I going to do after this? My parents had done a brilliant job of convincing me that college was going to be the best four years of my life. So that was really all I was focused on was making the grades so that I could get into some college. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. I mean, I, I never thought about it. In 11th grade, I can remember my mom telling me, Steve, it's time you went out and got a job. 
I said, oh, okay, fine. What do you think I ought to do? And she said, I really don't care. Just get out of the house. <laughs> okay, fine. So um, my parents were divorced when I was in first grade, but they always remained close friends. So I'm one of the luckiest people in the world. I grew up with two sets of parents and they both thought I and my brother were the greatest things on earth. Awesome. And so it was just a wonderful life. But my dad owned a business and uh, they public finance happened to have two offices in Reading, Pennsylvania, where I was in high school. So I went to work for my dad at the age of 15, collecting loans. So wow. that was my first job. Collecting loans. Mm -hmm. Collecting payments. So someone's coming in, making payments. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Before, before the credit cards really took over, which was in the mid eighties, um, there really wasn't any place for people to go to borrow money. There was a whole industry called consumer finance or the small loan industry. And my grandfather founded this company in 1929 called Public Finance. Wow. He died suddenly. My dad took it over. And my brother and I both came to work for the company when we graduated college. Wow. That's a great story. 1929. He was a character. Um, the big, there were two big players in the industry, household finance and beneficial finance. And my grandfather, HP, um, worked for household and household. And he was a supervisor, which meant he was responsible for like 10 different branches. And household said, we're going to close this one branch. And my grandfather said, I don't want you to close that branch. And they said, well, we don't care what you want. And he said, well, if you close that branch, I'm going to quit and I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to start it right in that same location. And they said, fine, knock yourself out. That's exactly what he did. So he made his way, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, there's been some fascinating experiences and people in my life. I mean, it's just been, it's just been hilarious, really. It's the only word for it. That's why you always had this smile. So did you intern with any companies? I know you worked for your dad, but in, in uh, college, let's say in college, because in high school, right? He was working with your dad. I, I, I don't think internships were really in back in the sixties. Um, and I don't, I can't remember any of those. I can't remember that topic ever coming up. I can't remember our company, Public Finance, ever using interns. And I don't think Countrywide ever used interns to my knowledge. So I, I think that's a more recent development, probably came after my time, but um, no, I, I don't think I ever even came close to an internship. But, and I think you're right about that. I think the first time interns, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 80s. I graduated in the 80s. So by that time, internships were around, but they weren't being paid. Right. And I think it was a big deal because college became even more competitive. And um, as a high schooler, having a couple of internships 
in your resume uh, certainly helped your and improved your chances of getting into college. Because I think both of our daughters did the same thing. They had some of those experiences on their resume as they were trying to get uh, into certain colleges. Yeah. And it, it helps. It always helps. Whenever you get an internship, though, whether it's paid or not paid, you do get something out of it. Right? Yes. Here's a lesson in you. And you have to complete it. Yep. Uh, so what goals did you have when you were in college? <laughs> I love this question. What were my goals? I had, I think I had three goals. Number one was have as much fun as I could have. My parents told me this was going to be the most fun I was ever going to have. Okay, so that was number one. Number two was to graduate. Yes. Make sure I graduate in four years too. And number three was to see if I could really survive without my parents being around. I knew what my job was going to be when I got out of college. I knew I was going to go work at my dad's company. So I was taking courses that I thought were going to help me in that job. And, you know, I started out as a major in economics. And when I got into macroeconomics, that was way over my head. So I, I can't do that. Um, so I, I wound up majoring in business administration. I thought I was sort of kind of prepared to uh, go to work for my dad. At that time, our company, we had 60 some odd offices up and down the East Coast. We were in five different states. We had about 500 employees. You know, my job was going to be um, figuring out how each of those branches operated and what, how were we going to continue to operate in the future. So that's what I wound up doing when I got out of college. But while I was in there, the main thing was have fun. And the greatest result that came out of college was I met my wife. Fantastic. So, you know, arguably my very best friend. So the best decision I ever made was going to Wake Forest University simply because I met Harriet there and we got married. That's a nice story. Did you take over for your father since you had the degree? No. Um, in the 80s, I graduated in 77. And I can't remember exactly what year, I think 87, maybe. Um, my dad came and talked to our leadership team and he said, I think our days are numbered. I think this whole industry is about to be wiped out. And he said, I'm going to sell the company. And he did. Uh, at the time we had been consolidating, and I think we only had like 35 or 40 branches left and we sold them all. And so all the employees wound up working for a couple of different banks and they got um, folded into those operations. We kept two of the branches mm -hmm. in Philadelphia and we converted them both to a savings and loan because we wanted to cha change our charter. And 
we wanted to be able to accept deposits so we could continue to make loans, but we were now going to start making mortgage loans. So that was my introduction into the mortgage industry. And then the savings loan industry died. There was an insurance fund that insured all the deposits and it went bankrupt. And so we had to go get FDIC insurance. And so for a very short time, we were the smallest FDIC insured institution in the world. So uh, with the goals that you had to party, to um, graduate, and to see if you could make it on your own without your parents, those were your three goals. What steps did you take to reach those goals? Well, number one, I participated in just about everything. <laughs> yeah, parties, intramurals. Um, the dorm I was in was one of the most amazing accumulations of people. Um, we were all lunatics and we were all leaders. It was the most amazing group of people that I've ever been around. And we still get together uh, when we have homecomings. There's still about 40 of us that show up and it's like we never left. Yeah. Um, these are really smart people. They all have um, outstanding um, credentials and personalities. They've all become, they've all made something of themselves. And at the same time, they're all crazy. So, okay, that's one of the goals. So you, you, you lived up to the party. I did how, graduate. Did graduate. How did you get a, how did with, you along without your parents? How did you handle that? How did it go for you? Well, freshman year was a little tricky because I had a serious girlfriend back home in Reading. So it was eight and a half hours away from each other. And so I had some issues being away from her, but not my parents. I, I adjusted to being on my own pretty quickly. Well, my parents were probably just as happy about it too, you know, Iman. It's a long distance relationship. It was a serious relationship, first of all. Um, and yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna forget about her because we forgot about her the minute we met Harriet, we forgot about her. That's right. But getting along without, without your parents. Well, I spent two years living in a dorm on campus and then me and three other friends, we moved off campus and we rented a house. And so, we had to mow the grass. We had to do our own cooking. We had to do clean the house clean. I mean, that was really the first experience of you know doing it all by myself. Um, there were three other knuckleheads there with me, but we were all trying to figure it out. That's washing we clothes. Did. That's cleaning up the bathroom. These the chores that you were doing at home anyway. Uh, no. no. Oh, you weren't. <laughs> I wasn't doing those chores at home. <laughs> um, Steve, do you see business etiquette being applied in the workplace? I, again, we know that we're in uh, virtual land with 
you're talking to so many different people, right? And we're not going into the office or anything, but business etiquette is still supposed to be there in some form or fashion. Are you seeing that or is it missing? Well, um, it, this is a great question and it's a great question for you particular to be asking people. And without a doubt, etiquette is probably the most important skill set that anybody in business has got to get their head around. Because in business, everything is person to person. Um, it, it is the critical ingredient to the employee experience. It's the critical ingredient to the customer experience. And you have to understand how to interact with people. If you're going to manage people, you have to understand etiquette. If you're going to deal with customers, you have to understand etiquette. It is probably the fundamental skill set in every aspect of business. I, I've always thought that a company's customer service, the way that customers treat employees, is an absolute reflection on the way that management treats employees. Wow. So if, if you mistreat employees, how do you think they're going to treat customers? Yes. So at the end of the day, etiquette, civility, respect, a genuine concern for the other person is the key ingredient. Yes, business etiquette is a skill that every business person needs to learn. Has to be there. So well, in today's world, um, these help desks are all over the world. And what I've noticed about them is they these people are being very well trained because they're using the exact same sentences over and over again. And they very, very scripted. And there's, you know, a plus and a minus to that. But the plus is we're being consistent. Yes. And, you know, I had a, a call, not recently, but, you know, I was upset over something that they were doing. And the person I was talking to just continued to go through his script. And I was really impressed. I thought, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I learned this negotiating tactic too. Just, just keep repeating your point of view. Well, until, until you realize that, okay, fine. I guess you're really not going to change your mind. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a challenging thing to teach people how to do that, to be able to, to handle customers that are a little unhappy with what's going on. Well, you know, the, the 15 to 17 year old is going to wind up having some interviews. Yes. Whether it's an interview to get into a college, whether it's an interview to get a job, um, it, it would be good to know how to participate in an interview, to be able to show that you know how to interact with people. I'm also a mentor uh, with a nonprofit uptown. 
And I think the whole aspect, the, the core ingredient to being a mentor is wanting to be in that position, to wanting to have um, some mentees who want to share my experience and expertise. So I, I think it, that's the relationship. Um, there's a mentorship and a mentee. Yes. And I think both of them need to be committed to the task. I think the same way. I think if, as a woman, me being a woman, I think it's my responsibility to reach back and pull someone forward. When I came to work out of college for my dad's business, um, my dad really was the was an absentee owner. He really didn't work in the day-to-day -day business. Um, and in our headquarters, we had a chief financial officer, we had a chief operating officer, um, and we had three or four different supervisors. And these were the men who were responsible for the day-to-day -day operations out of the branches. And those were the people that I, that mentored me. Right. All of those guys. And I, I the stuff I learned from them was just priceless. But truly, it was all about etiquette. It was really all about people-to-people -people interaction. Yes. Um, like I said before, we all totally believed that our employees were going to treat our customers the exact same way we treated them. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a matter of civility. It's a matter of respect. I hesitate to use the word common sense because it's not common. His names. I thank you. He's very well known. He's very, very well connected. And to to actually be a part of our team is just speechless. I'm delighted. This has been fun. Thank you. Thank you. So our, our wrap-up question is, do you have any questions for us as Dubai's daughter? Or would you like to share some advice for us and our listeners? One of the little-known aspects of creating your own business is being able to explain your own business. To be able to take the time and really think about the words that you want to use to be able to describe what it is you do. We, we tend to skip over them. We, we tend to use words and phrases that everybody else uses. And sometimes those words and phrases have meaning and sometimes they're useful. But too often, they're not clear enough. And I think the, the clarity comes once we start to figure out who we're really talking to. If we think that everybody is our target, we're going to have a real difficult time coming up with words describing who we are. But if we can start zeroing in on women business owners,
And if we can start zeroing in on young women, 15 to 17 years old, once we know who we're talking to, the words can become so much clearer. Thank you guys for listening and participating in another episode of Dubai's Daughter. Please um, check out our website, DubaiesDaughter.org. Take a moment to listen to the podcast. You know, listen to this episode. This is great, great information. That, I mean, this is free information for you guys. Again, our audience is not the 15 through 17. Those are our participants. Our audience are you adults. You can always reach us at info at deviceDaughter.org. And we will speak with you guys next time. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Iman. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you.